Now, what I'm going to do is two things here to get us started. One is if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'd love to be able to give you one. If you don't have one, uh, you can take it home if you want to. It's our gift to you. If, if you already have one, you can just leave it in the back uh, when everything is all said and done. The other thing is, is I usually do announcements off the back end, but I don't want to do announcements off the back end. So here's what I want to do. I want to open up and just kind of look at some of the announcements that are coming up, and then we'll, we'll dive into, into the Word. But uh, first one is just... We'll notice uh, coming up here, you're grabbing Bibles at, uh, there's a Christmas worship night uh, coming up here this, this week, actually, Wednesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, there's a member dinner that's coming up on the 10th of December from 5 to 7 p.m. So if you're a member, make sure you mark that down. The other thing is, is Christmas Eve. And let me just kind of explain this to you. Uh, this year, Christmas Eve falls on Sunday. So instead of doing a morning service, we're actually going to do two services at night. And so we'd love to be able to have you there. If you have friends that don't have a place to go, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, we, we'd love to have them with us. And then uh, we've two more things. Uh, New Year's Eve at 10 a.m., we're going to have a combined uh, service together with, uh, with our uh, Spanish-speaking congregation. Um, which is going to be awesome because Jose Luis is going to be here and uh, it'll be a joy to have him leading us through that particular uh, uh, day. And then also you'll notice out in the, in the, in the foyer uh, or in the entryway, uh, uh, the fourth annual toy run that's being put on by the Venture of Black Sheep. It's a motorcycle ministry and their whole goal is to just get kids uh, at a specific, uh, what's the name of the place? Lighthouse. Lighthouse. <coughs> Over in, in Oxnard or Ventura? Oxnard. Thank you for being there. Um, but it's just that it's a ministry that we de desperately want to be uh, helping out, even though I couldn't remember the name. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? We want to help them, but I can't remember the name. We desperately do want to help them out. So those are some of the things going on. So has everybody got a Bible now that needs a Bible? Everybody okay? All right. Well, here's what we're going to look at today. You'll notice that we're going to be uh, towards the end of, of Matthew 19. And so one of the things that's important to know, though, is how we kind of get going. Now, last week when we were looking at it, you had the disciples and they're coming to Jesus along with another guy that's a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes thinking that at the end of the day, there's just something that he needs to do. There's something in this bag of tricks for this teacher Jesus that needs to happen for him to inherit eternal life. And at the very end of it, and here's the thing, Jesus doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our power. He doesn't need anything that we have. And with those guys that he had around them, they were thinking to themselves, Are you kidding me? This guy has it all. I said this last week, <coughs> is that when I first came into student ministry, I remember everybody saying, if you win the quarterback of the football team at a school, you win the school. But that is so not how Jesus operated. Jesus didn't need the quarterback. In fact, you look at like math, or in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talked about, man, that's not who you guys were. Man, most of you guys came from lowly places. You weren't wise according to this age. That's not who you were because God loves to take that which is not to confound the wise. And so every one of us in this room, just understand this. We're not all that, except we are if we're in Christ, that's where we gain our significance. And he's wanting them to understand your significance does not come from money, prestige, all those other things. Your significance is found in him. And so that's why he said to them, when the disciples heard that the, the rich, the powerful, the privileged, etc., were no better off than, the, than, than even those that were at a disadvantage. In fact, in some ways, they were worse off. 
they were greatly astonished. Well, if he can't be saved, who can? And I love this. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, even though it is impossible for him, God makes it possible. The only way to inherit eternal life is through Jesus. Now, on some levels, you gotta understand this, is that Peter must have been sitting there thinking along with all the other guys, then what is this thing that Jesus is talking about? And what we kind of started to lay out was this idea of the upside down kingdom, a kingdom that doesn't operate like the world and in the system that we live in, right? We talked about this idea, money couldn't inherit eternal life. It might grease the skids to power and prestige. It might be able to get you the cars and the houses that you want, but you can't buy your way into the kingdom. That's not how we come into the kingdom. It's an upside down world. But once you get into the kingdom, well, now what, Jesus? And that's what Peter's gonna ask next. Peter said to them, you can, said to him, and you can see this in the verse 27, but look at verse 28. Jesus says back to them, meaning he's speaking for the whole group. He says, look, we've, we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? He's like, look, we left everything. But if we're honest, they really didn't leave everything. We'll talk about that a little bit later. They didn't really leave their boats because later on, Peter goes back to his boat. They didn't really leave their nets because they went back to their nets and started fishing. In other words, let's be honest, Peter, you kind of didn't give everything up. And not only that, but that wasn't their thing. But I've oftentimes found those of us that came from not much, if you suddenly tell us we can have something, we want to know what. Jesus, we go back to you and you ascend this throne that we think you're going to throw in. When you get power... Will we have power? Will we have authority? And next week, you're gonna even see a group of them, I think, coerce their mom into actually going to ask Jesus because they didn't wanna act stupid. So they kind of sent their mom to go look stupid in hopes that Jesus would tell them about this great authority they're gonna get. But Jesus is like, you're missing the point of the kingdom. Now in there, he does talk about this. Look at verse 21. Yes, you know, you, you will in this new world. It's, it's speaking about that world that the Jewish people had longed for that was gonna be right, this world that they had, had, had seen within their head of what life was supposed to be like. And he even said that you'll sit along with the son of man on his glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And I'm not gonna go into that today. We're gonna get to it when we get to chapters 24 and 25. So his point is, yeah, you'll have a unique role in my kingdom. You're gonna have a unique place to serve. In fact, you're gonna be judging alongside of me. And again, we'll answer that a little bit later. But in 29, he says, and look, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, not to just go on an adventure with Jesus or to do big things for Jesus or to make a name for yourself. He says, but for my name's sake, we'll receive a hundredfold and we'll inherit eternal life. In other words, you're not gonna regret it. Let me just say this to all of you in this room. Those of you that are followers of Jesus that follow him faithfully, I promise you in the end, you will not regret it. 
This thing is so great that we can't even put our minds around it because this idea of eternal life isn't just this idea of like length, eternity. That's one side of it. That's generally how most people think of it. We're gonna be able to live forever, but it's actually not only speaking about longevity, but this way in which it's now gonna talk about it, this quality of life. It's gonna be the life that we have longed for for our whole lives. It's what philosophical systems have longed for. It's what different religions have longed for. And Jesus is saying, you're never gonna find this in another philosophical system. You're not going to find it in another religion. You're not going to find it on a quest. You're not going to find it here or there or anywhere. You're only going to find it in me. That's it. There's only one way is his point, and I'm the one that grants it. So you won't regret it is his point. But look at this. You know that word, but? I remember all the time when my, my, my dad was, used to be great at this. He would give compliment sandwiches. You know what a compliment sandwich is? He would tell you a good thing on the front end and a good thing on the back end, and then in the middle, it wasn't so hot. But Jesus looks at them, and this is what's called a weak adversity within the Greek. He's saying, but you're missing something here. You guys are missing something. I can see it in all of you. You're, you're going after power. You're going after authority. And this is what next two weeks Christian's going to go after for us to see that it's not wrong to go after power and authority, but we're to go after the right power and authority. And then he tells them a proverb. That's what he's going to do. In this upside down kingdom, he's gonna tell him a proverb. Now, if you don't know what a proverb is, it's kind of a short pithy statement that encapsulates kind of life and wisdom and truth. It's a kind of a shortcut for imparting like greater realities, right? So in other words, I wrote this down. If I came in one, one day to the office and I said, hey guys, we're gonna only be successful if we approach this, this season before we enter out to them by getting after it, that would be one way to put it. Or I could just say to them, hey, the early bird catches the worm, let's go get it. It's a, a short little statement. But in this case, he's trying to convey something greater. He's giving them a proverb. Now, the meaning of the proverb is going to be kind of interesting in here is that he's going to use, look down in verse 30. He's going to first talk about the first will be last and the last will be first. And then down in 2016, he's going to talk about this idea of the last will be first and the first will be last. It kind of goes one way and then it comes out the other, meaning he's bracketing that between those, that particular proverb is where he's going to explain what that proverb means. He's going to explain the but. But, Peter, you got to understand something. You are going to judge with me on 12 thrones and whatever that means. There, are, there is eternal life for all that have hoped and have done what I've called them to do. There is a reward for that. But I want you to explain something. I want to explain something to you, Peter, that is so important for you to understand in walking inside of my kingdom. If you're going to apprentice under me, you have to get authority from this vantage point. And so what he does is, is he now not only tells them a proverb, but he's going to now tell them a little bit of a a parable. Now, like, watch what he does. He says, for the kingdom of heaven, he's now explaining, what, what does my kingdom look like? It looks different than the rest of them. It's like a master of a house that's in a, a vineyard. Now, this particular master of the house, it was probably more of like a, a family farm. He's the owner. He's the operator. 
And he would have had enough servant labor to take care of like the day in and day out realities of the house. But when it was harvest season, he would have to go hire out day laborers. We kind of understand that a little bit. Like when I used to live over in the valley in, in the, in, in a few years ago, every time I would go past like a Home Depot, there would be people out there wanting to be day laborers. They needed jobs. And that's what's speaking about in this idea of when he went out in the morning to hire laborers, that's kind of the idea of what he was going to do. Now, these laborers, you got to understand, were some of the worst off workers within this particular cultural context. Servants had a house to live in. They had meals that they could eat. If they got sick, they were cared for by the household. But this particular group of workers, these day-to-day -day people, they would have been the ones that would have kind of passed under the system. There was no safety net for them. And the only way that they could ever survive is if these ones would hire them on a day-to-day -day basis. They were literally a group of people that if you think about the Lord's prayer, they were desperate for your daily bread. They needed that reality. Not only that, but when you'd go out to hire, generally they would hire the ones that looked most hireable, right? Like if I went down to hire a group of day laborers, I would look around and if I see one guy over there, you know, that looks like he can't even, you know, hit a nail with, you know, a car, or I see somebody else over there that looks like, man, they're a worker, I'm going to hire the best first. And you'll see that in verse two, is that after agreeing with the laborers, look at this, they were around him for a denarius, which a denarius was kind of one day's wage, except listen to me, it was more than actually just a day's wage. It was given to Roman soldiers, meaning it was a little bit more than a day's wage. It was actually a really good pay. It would sustain them further than even maybe a day in what it was talking about. But he says to them, look, this is our agreement. I will give you one denarius, which is a great paycheck, to go out in my vineyard. Now, the funny part of this story, I just want you to imagine, this is what they would have seen, is that first wave of people would have been like, yes, shut the door. We're getting a whole denarius to go work today. And they were like, yay. Maybe not like that. <laughs> they were laborers. It was more like, yeah. How about that? But there was probably such a sense of excitement because they were going to make more than probably what they would normally get paid. They were thinking, this guy is incredible. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle. That word idle doesn't mean they're being lazy. It just means nobody had hired them. They'd been there, but nobody had hired them, and they were in the marketplace and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right, I'll give you. And they're probably thinking to themselves, okay, we saw the first group get a denarius. We're about three hours later. Are you kidding me? We're probably going to make close to about three quarters of a denarius. And they're still thinking, this is awesome. Comes back again, it says, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same, and you know there were some happy people leaving the marketplace because they're thinking to themselves, this dude is going to pay great. Now, the part of the story where it starts getting interesting is in verse 6. About the 11th hour, this would have been an hour before kind of sunset, right before everything began to shut down. When, and if you could think about it, this is when like the cool winds are probably coming down off the mountains south into the valley and everything's starting to cool down. 
There's a group of people still in the marketplace that are standing there. And he said to them, why do you stand here without working all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. Well, why? More than likely, this particular time, the reasons that they didn't get hired were these are the ones nobody wanted. I mean, seriously, I don't have hardly a lick of ability to like work in like on houses or anything. I grew up on a farm and a ranch, but that doesn't mean I can do anything. If I would be one of those people that showed up at Home Depot and you showed up to look around and they're like, I'm sitting there like this and they're like, um, we'll take a him and I'm like, and they're like, and we'll take him. You know, they're just trying everything they can to get around me because I'm not the one that's one probably gonna be hired. You can even think about it. Remember when we were kids and we used to play games and we used to choose teams? Some of you right now are having PTSD and some of you are getting prideful, aren't you? I was never really the kid that got chosen first or got chosen last. I was kind of like, Todd, Todd. So I was kind of somewhat valuable, but not really. These are like the kids that nobody wanted on the team. He comes back with an hour to go. And imagine again, they're sitting there. They more than likely would have been not only unskilled, they probably even would have had at that time, many of them, a disability. And he looks at them and says, I'll hire you. That's crazy. Now remember, he's giving a picture of the kingdom. He's giving a picture of the kingdom in which the, the, the master of the house is coming out and he's choosing from this time period and this time period and this time period and this time period. He's choosing all kinds of different people. In other words, what we should have going on inside of our head is that the kingdom that he's talking about with Peter is for groups of people that come from those that you would expect to choose from all the way over to this group of people you wouldn't, the marginalized, the people that nobody wanted. They would have even chosen from them. And to think about Matthew being one of the people people that's sitting there, the tax collector, I think in some ways Matthew would have known in this parable potentially, or maybe he reflected back on it and thought, that's me. He chose Peter, John, James, Andrew. He chose all of them and he waited all the way till chapter nine to choose me. But he chose me. I love that. It's a picture of a kingdom that looks so diverse, all kinds of different people. In fact, in some ways, if you're sitting here today going, you know, I kind of deserve to be picked, you're about ready to come up from a rude awakening. But for those of you that are sitting here right now and go, no one would ever choose me, then you don't know my master. My master loves to choose what no one else will to confound the wisdom of the wise. But he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now I think every group went away going, shut yes. Again, maybe not that, I, I mean, I just think they're excited. Even that last group is like, no way. He hired us even for an hour. Okay, if he gave him a denarius, divide by 12. I'm not gonna do too bad. I'm gonna make a decent wage. I might actually be able to feed my family or take care of those around me. I think everybody was, hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work we go. I think it was just like they were going off, man. 
And that's where they are. And it says the work was done. Verse eight. And the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. Look at this. Beginning with the last up to the what? The last will be first and the first will be, hmm. I think he might be explaining the proverb here. Now, at some levels, if you can even imagine this, those that have been working all day are sitting there going, oh, good, you know, I'm finally going to come get my denarius. And in verse 9, it says, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them got a denarius? On some levels, man, these people, again, at the end were unskilled, unable, they were the ones that nobody else wanted to choose. For those of you that always got chose last, these are your people. They're walking out there, and suddenly this man puts a denarius in your hand. A denarius? You might have never made a denarius in your life. You may have never been able to provide bread for your family ever in that way. And into your hand drops a denarius. Did they deserve it? No. And they're sitting there probably looking at that thing. Maybe even the good ones went, are, are you sure it was supposed to be this much? And the foreman goes, no. That's what the master has chosen to give you. I even tried to imagine what would it like when they came home with a denarius and they hold it up to the family and they're like, check it out. Who's buying bread today, right? Probably just a sense of thankfulness beyond anything you could imagine. And we know that then the next group comes up, the group after that, the group after that. And then verse 10 those hired first came and they thought, we're going to receive more. But each of them also, look at this, received a denarius. Now imagine again this group. They're coming up, you know, with their hand held out. They're about ready to get paid. And they're thinking to themselves, okay, they made a denarius. I worked a little more hours. So times 11, I'm getting paid. And they walk up, denarius. Now remember, they probably came into it like, yes, this is so awesome. We're going to make a denarius. And you know now they're sitting there going, what? I don't get it. You'll even see this in what they said. Look what they, what they said. is, in, On receiving it, they grumbled. That word grumbled is oftentimes reserved for one group of people, the Israelites, and the, when they were going through the desert, right? All throughout, what does it say? God provides, and what do they do? Grumble. At the master of the house saying, these last only work for one hour. Now, we as Americans, be honest. We'd be pretty peeved too. 
I mean, I will still never forget, man, my grandma, she hired us to go um, take care of the bunny problem in her farm. I don't know how to tell that in like California and people not get mad at me, but we had to take care of the bunny problem, right? And so I'm out there, I'm taking care of the bunnies. Finally, I have my little brother with me, right? And I remember it's like, he's like, I want to try, I want to try, right? So he takes care of a little wabbit. And um, I walked up with all these rabbits and my grandma goes, oh my gosh, you both did so great. And she handed us each a $5 bill. And I'm sitting there like, oh, punk didn't do anything. (laughs) We're Americans, right? We just, oh, we don't like that. The worst part about it is they said, you have made them equal to us. How dare you? Now, in one, it is explained from this way. We've borne the burden of the day. We've gone a full 12 hours here, bucko. We've worked it all. Not only that, but we did it during the scorching heat. I mean, they started probably around 6 a.m.-ish or so. They start to work, right? Anybody knows this about the middle of the day? It is hotter than, you know, snot on a tin roof. It's just hot. And as they're dealing with all of this, finally we know as the day goes along, it starts to get a little bit cooler. And that's when these people showed up. Just the sense of it is this is wrong. But I think there's something else going on here. I think potentially they're saying you made those with disability equal to us. I think you made those with a different nationality equal to us. How dare you make that group of people that always gets chosen last equal to us? I think what Jesus is getting at in this parable is there's something deeper and there's darker inside of who we are. A sense of entitlement. A sense that we're owed. I remember when I first came to know Jesus, I was listening to a guy named Tony Evans preach. And if you've never heard Tony Evans preach, highly encourage you to listen to Tony Evans preach. But it was the first time I'd ever heard that statement And he said, do you want to know what you're owed? Do you honestly want to know what you're owed? You are owed an eternity apart from God forever and ever and ever. And anything above that, he said, is grace. And I think that's why he says this next in verse 13. But he replied to one of them, friend, Let me put that in our vernacular, right? Because we don't really walk up to people and go, friend, we just don't do that. So let me put it this way. Whenever my kids, which is rare, but let's just say they're knuckleheads. Whenever they do that, they know that I love them, but usually I go, dude, bro. It's a sense that I love you, but I'm frustrated. This man cared for them but he was frustrated. Look at this, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me for a denarius? I've been fair. Take what belongs to you and go. 
I choose to give to the last workers as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my what? Missed the point. There is the peak of this parable. It's the heart of God. Like on some levels, right? Like when I was first studying this, I'm like, man, this master of the house, he's not very good at this. Didn't he know like at the beginning of the day, okay, you know, I've got X amount of labor to do, therefore I need Y amount of labor to do this. So I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna choose what I need. And at some levels, I'm sitting there processing it like an American would going, man, that is so inefficient. I need to help that master understand how to really do things. But you can catch his point he kept going back and calling more workers and calling more workers and calling more workers because our God is generous. He gave the first ones more than they deserved because he's generous. The second group, the third group, the fourth group. See, I think on some levels, we make this parable about us, but I think really what this parable is about is about the heart of God. His absolute generosity towards those who are is. And if you go back into what Peter now is wrestling through, what he's talking about, he's sitting there going, dang, if I came in first, I can't imagine what I'm gonna get to do. I mean, I'm Peter. He's going to hand me the keys. I walked on water. I said he was the Christ, the son of the living God. (laughs) Dang, am I good. Isn't it fascinating? In one moment, he goes from feeling inadequate next to the rich young ruler, and the next moment, he feels like he is totally adequate for the kingdom. We do that. And Jesus is trying to help him to understand, Peter, all of us might have different roles to play. Different ones are going to do different things within the kingdom. But everyone who gets in gets the same thing, eternal life. Well, anybody have a Todd, what about those whole crowns thing? We're going to get the crowns. I don't know what the crowns are. But we're going to get crowns. And if you've read the rest of the story, we throw them back at the feet of Jesus anyways. Right? He just flattens the kingdom. Everybody that comes into the kingdom. The missionaries, if you think about it on one end, right, sometimes I think we think the missionary is the ultimate thing to go. I love reading about guys like David Livingston and and all these different ones that did these incredible mission work. They're one of my favorite things to read about. And we think, oh my gosh, they're the best of the best of the best. Some of them lost their families. They lost everything. And we look at them, and again, they are a phenomenal example. And God used them to do incredible things, and they had a unique role to play. But on the other side of it, even Todd comes into the kingdom. My wife will tell you, on so many levels, a punk in desperate need of God's grace. The person that on this end grew up inside of the church and knows all the songs, man, they can sing everything. 
They're the ones that know at the right point when the song is peaking, when to put their hands up and when to pull them down when they sing. They know what a sword drill is. They participated in a wana. And they've asked Jesus into their heart five different times. What's so crazy is they're on the same level as a thief on a cross that Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that crazy? Hey, Peter, don't get too big for your britches. I love you and I called you and I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom, but you ain't all that. You are who you are by my grace and my grace alone. And then at the very end, he repeats this statement. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now let me do this. Notice I have a proverb, a parable. Look at this. I alliterated for all of you. The upside down kingdom points. Now let me give you a few of them. Here's the thing. That word but there is so important in what he's talking to Peter about. The first thing is, is just this. God calls his present kingdom people. What do I mean by this? He went into the marketplace and he called out. If you think about it, he went into a marketplace that people happened to be sitting in. Those people sitting there, the only thing that distinguished them from anyone else is they were just there. On so many levels, that's their significance. They were just kind of there. The bigger issue is that God was calling. He was calling into a group of people. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're sitting here today, let me just say this. Right now, God is calling you to him. What you're going to do with it, how you're going to respond is up to you. But let me help you understand something. You are here today by God's grace and God's grace alone. You don't deserve to be sitting here. None of us deserve to be sitting here. But in this, you're hearing a message of God's incredible generosity through the person of Jesus who died. He was buried. He rose again that you might have life and you have to decide today, are you gonna keep trying to find life in your own way or are you gonna bend your knee to this King Jesus? We're just sitting here and he's just calling. That's the first thing you have to understand. Here's the second thing. God chooses his privileged kingdom people. On so many levels, we don't like that. How dare him choose? He has the right to do whatever he wants. And if he chose you, listen to me. You are privileged. Of any group of people that should be humble, it's those that understand we are privileged because God chose us, nothing in us, but merely just him choosing to do so. On the other side of it, though, he redeems, he buys out. He, the idea, I just wanted to use the word redeem, he, he pulls out of that market. It mostly spoke of slavery, but we'll just use it in this case. He redeems his willing. 
Now, I don't understand how God's sovereignty and choosing and my willingness to come, I will never understand that because it's such a great mystery. But in some way, the sovereign God chooses and those that are his come to him willingly in this way that Jesus talked about it. My sheep hear my voice and they come. But understand this, you come and are willing, not because you're so great, not because you're so smart, not because you're all that, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. God graces his needy kingdom people. I think the other part of this, as we forget, is that all of us in this room are needy. And every single one of us, apart from the work of God, we don't get anything. But I think there's this other side of it in how God chooses to arrange his kingdom. He loves to make sure that the needy are a part of his kingdom. It's why I love that in our heart, within Cornerstone, we're gonna make sure that as much as the Lord enables us, is that those that oftentimes others don't go after, we want to go after. We wanna go after all those different kinds of ability levels. We wanna go after all those kinds of different people that whether we have different gender or a race or different things like that. All these different realities, whatever it is, men, women, all kinds of people, we want to go after them because the call of God is not meant exclusively for one group of people. It's meant for the world. Jesus said, go into the whole world. That's why we believe in missions, because we believe all those different people groups that out there need to hear the gospel. But every last one of them are needy. But notice in this, while they're needy, they don't just sit around and do nothing. They brought in to work. Now, here's what I want you to see. God calls, God chooses, God redeems, God graces. We are present, privileged Willing, needy, Peter, but, but. I think in all those different things, it forces us to look at God. It forces us to realize we have a generous God who is worthy to be praised. But there's one last thing I want to do, and then we'll get out of here. In verse 18, Christian's going to go through this next week. He talks about the fact that he's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to be killed, condemned to death, delivered over, flogged, flogged, crucified, and raised on the third day. He goes, this is where I'm going. Now, why? Jesus said to him, you know that rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But who would ever be great, who would ever be first among you must be your servant, must be last. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, last. Even as the Son of Man, look at this, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was telling you something here that is so important to understand about God. The greatest one, Jesus, King Jesus, came to this earth, took on flesh, became a servant, 
died on a cross, died as a criminal. Why? He was showing us what authority is. Authority is there that we might cause other people to flourish. He was showing them that the reason that I'm going back to Jerusalem and I must go back to Jerusalem is you will never come into my kingdom unless I die and I'm buried and I rise again. You cannot come into my kingdom apart from that. You cannot flourish in the way God intended you to unless I go and I die and am buried and rose again. And everything Jesus showed with his authority and power was intended to cause other people to flourish. That's what I want for Cornerstone. I want all of you in here that have some position of authority to understand and to exit here today with this reality. You are not given your authority to get me in mind. It's not given your authority to be able to stand and lord it over people. You're not granted any kind of authority to get yours. You're granted authority to cause other people to flourish. That's what he's trying to say, Peter. I mean, those of us that are Men in this room, you know, the Bible talks about a grant of authority. And again, we, I don't want to get any arguments over it. But that authority is not for ourselves, for me to sit around and treat my wife like she's this one that's supposed to be my barmaid and my children. Well, maybe my children, but not my wife. <laughs> Kidding. My job as a husband with the authority that God has granted me is to cause my family to flourish. Moms, cause your family to flourish. You go into the workplace, and if you're granted authority in the workplace, you're not going there to collect a paycheck. You're going there to represent King Jesus and to cause other people to flourish. If you're a leader of any kind here within Cornerstone, we're not granted this authority to get what we want and to tell people what to do. We're granted authority to help people flourish to become the men and the women that God intends them to be. It's the upside down kingdom. This is what I pray for this church, that we won't be about getting mine and from mine and getting what I need and stealing from you and getting all the gusto out of this life, but instead we'll realize that when Jesus modeled for us this servant kingdom, there was something greater at the end. See, in Philippians 2, it does talk about the fact that he was lowered. He was lowered to the point of death on a cross. But don't forget the rest of it. But God highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will not regret being a servant in this life because when you stand before him one day, you will be elevated. It is worth it to serve and to cause other people to flourish in this life, not because we're masochists and enjoy pain, not because we're workaholics, but we believe light momentary affliction is storing up for us an eternal weight of glory. So let me say it this way. This parable is intended to do two things. If you're somebody sitting there right now that doesn't feel like you deserve this kingdom, you don't but Jesus is inviting you still. He's offering grace. Don't leave here today without stepping into that grace that you don't deserve and receiving a gift 
that you can never pay him back. For the rest of us, I think this is supposed to humble us because we're not all that. I think it's supposed to cause us to go, first maybe look at ourselves, but then look to that great king and just stand in awe. You saved me. You brought me into your kingdom. Not because of anything I've done, not because of being great, or not because of earning nothing at all. You just, you brought me in because you chose to just lavish me with your love. Praise God. We humble ourselves so we just honor and exalt the king. So I'm gonna invite the band up. And I'm gonna ask all of you to stand up. We're gonna finish with one last song. And I apologize, I've gone a little bit long. This last song is called, All Hail King Jesus. Now, for those of you that maybe just responded to King Jesus today, this will be the first time you're gonna say to him, all hail King Jesus. Now, for the rest of us, we're gonna sing. Right? Right? Okay. While none of you were worthy and none of you could earn it, the creator of the universe chose you. <laughs> and all God's people said, amen. amen.